Hey everybody, Alan Arnett here with the inaugural podcast for Everest 2022 on March the 27th, 2022. I'm excited to uh, continue the podcast. It was very popular last year and throughout the uh, K2 season as well. So let's get into what we're looking for for Everest uh, this upcoming spring. Well, being as towards the end of March, that means that climbers all around the world, with some exceptions that we'll talk about, are all headed uh, to Nepal in order to try to attempt the highest mountain in the world, Mount Everest, at almost 9,000 meters uh, at, um, in a, just a, a few weeks. So the first part, as we all know, and we'll go through this as the season develops, is the trek and arriving in Kathmandu, then the trek through the Khumbu, getting to Everest Base Camp, acclimatizing perhaps on Lobache, or doing the rotations through the icefall, uh, hopefully tagging like uh, 7,000 meters to Camp 3, waiting for the weather window, and then going for the summit uh, sometime between May 18th and May 22nd. Historically, 80% of the summits have happened uh, during that uh, week-long time frame. Usually, the ropes are set to the summit by early early May. Uh, they're hoping, I think, this year to get it in a little bit earlier so the teams have a head start. But the big question is, how many climbers will we have on Everest this year? And consistent with what we've seen over the last three years with COVID, yet another uh, geopolitical situation, pandemic uh, crisis is taking over uh, the numbers on Mount Everest. China has chosen to keep that side closed, Tibet side closed for literally now the third year in a row. Uh, they closed it in 2019, 2021, I'm sorry, 2021 and 22. So now for the last three years, they did allow a Chinese national team to climb it the previous two years. They pulled the plug on the one last year, fearing that they were going to get exposed to COVID on the summit. Uh, but you know, it ends up so nobody's really summited last year. And it looks like that we won't have any foreigners for this year on the Tibet side because no permits are being issued. And by the way, that then extends to Choyoyu as well as Shishapangma. Um, looking around the rest of the world very quickly, uh, we're not going to see anything happening in Pakistan until probably July when the K2, Broad Peak, uh, Gasher, Brahms, Nanga, they all take place. Um, and the rest of the world is going to be kind of quiet until we get into the autumn season. Uh, Aconcagua season is all over in Argentina, as is down in Antarctica on Mount Vincent. Of course, Kilimanjaro has climbed year-round, and uh, they actually never did anything about closing COVID, uh, Kilimanjaro due to COVID over the last three years. Um, and I just saw an interesting comment the other day. It said the, the prevalence of COVID in, uh, on the African continent is lower than what experts had expected. So not quite sure what's going on there. But all the attention comes back to Nepal. And literally, it's only Nepal this year for all the 8,000-meter mountains uh, in Nepal. And so, you know, there's 8,000 8, meters in Nepal. And the Ministry of Tourism has initial, uh, issued their initial uh, permit uh, issuances, <laughs> that's a word, uh, here on March the 27th. And, you know, just kind of looking at the list, Dalagiri has uh, 11 permits issued, and Aperna also has 11. Looks like Amadablam is going to be popular again this spring with 21 thus far. Lhotse with five, uh, Nupsi with uh, two, and then, of course, Mount Everest, the uh, mother of them all, only has nine at this point. 
But this is really normal. Uh, teams get into Kathmandu, then they go visit the Ministry of Tourism, they get their permit, and then they begin the trek of heading up to Everest Space Camp. And, you know, something that's been going on the last five years or so, or people are arriving later and later into, into Nepal to climb Everest. A couple of reasons for this. One, obviously, right now with this pandemic still going on with the various variants happening, that they want to minimize the time they spend in Kathmandu. They're still having daily cases uh, all throughout Nepal, as is the rest of the world, quite frankly. So Nepal is not unique in that perspective. But um, teams want to minimize the time they spend going to restaurants, walking around the fabulous Tamil district in Kathmandu. They want to really get on the, on the way to trek. A lot of teams are now arriving in early, early April instead of late March. And they're traditionally, they arrived at Everest Space Camp around April 15th. Uh, and that'll probably still happen this year with a lot of teams cutting the trek short by flying directly to Namchi Bazaar by helicopter instead of taking a fixed wing into Lukla. This eliminates two days out of the oh, eight to 10 day trek. You know, the whole purpose is you're coming in at around 9,000 feet, going to Everest Space Camp around 17,000 feet. So you want to take that slowly, let your body acclimatize. That's the whole purpose of doing the trek. And honestly, for me, as I've said for years, you know, if you ever get a chance to go trek in Nepal, especially in the Khumbu or the Annapurna circuit, or maybe even go into Bhutan, jump on it. It'll change your life for the better. It did mine in 1997. The first time I made a trek up to Everest Base Camp, I was just amazed, gobsmacked, as the Brits like to say, by the uh, the majesty and the scale of the Himalayan mountains trekking through the, the Kumbu area, looking at Amina Blom, uh, the Mother Jewel hanging all over the, you know, the whole guarding the valley for most of the way, you know, seeing the, the kids playing in the dirt, uh, old ladies spinning prayer wheels, the monasteries, just the overall culture. I recognize that times have changed since I was there almost 25 years ago, but I still think it's absolutely uh, just a highlight of anyone's uh, life if they have an opportunity to go make that trek throughout Nepal. It's just a fantastic cultural experience and also a personal growth experience. I'll be talking a lot about that over the next week to 10 days as, as team after team begins that trek in. So um, in terms of the number of people with between the uh, COVID on the Nepal, on the Chinese side, uh, with the closures, China has basically put in such tight restrictions for Chinese nationals to leave China uh, that we're probably not going to see a lot of Chinese nationals, which has represented, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 people each year on Everest. In India, kind of another phenomenon is going on there. The Indian Army, for the first time in several years, is not going to field a team. It looks like there are going to be fewer Indians also climbing this year. I hope they use this opportunity to gain more experience for those that go in with minimal amount of experience, which has been the case over the last several years. I hope they use this off time in order to gain more experience on ever higher and technically more difficult mountains before attempting Mount Everest. As for the rest of the world, we all know that uh, the uh, the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion in Ukraine has really uh, complicated uh, all the climbing out of Russia, obviously out of Ukraine, where all the uh, men from age, I believe it's 18 to 60, have now been conscripted into, uh, to fight the war. Other Eastern European countries are also being impacted. Thus, we're going to see fewer people coming in from Russia, Ukraine, if any, and other European countries. So you take that plus the Chinese uh, travel restrictions, 
I think we're going to see a significant decrease in the number of people climbing Everest this year. Last year, Nepal issued a record 408 permits to foreigners. There were an equal number of Sherpas or high altitude workers, however you want to characterize that support. So we had, you know, close to 800 people on Everest last year. Of course, it was really a debacle with the COVID spreading throughout base camp, contrary to what you may have read from the Nepal Ministry of Tourism, or even some guides who tried to cover up the reality of it was, but the reality was that, you know, through uh, talking to helicopter pilots and other reports, including people there firsthand, was roughly 150 people left, uh, foreigners that is, left base camp uh, without attempting the summit. So that took the numbers down dramatically last year. So we saw 408 permits issued last year. Um, uh, only 46% of those 408 actually made the summit. That was the lowest success rate in years. Again, primarily, I think, due to COVID and the complications of it. Also, there were some really weird patterns going on, and that's becoming a more and more dominant theme. A couple of uh, posts ago, I talked to Michael Fagan out of Everest Weather, and he gave a nice update on, um, on the weather patterns. And just, you know, it's difficult to predict what the weather is going to be like in, in uh, two days, much less two months. But Michael, did have some thoughts on that that you can see on the previous blog. I believe it was back around March, I don't know, 23rd, 24th, something like that. So bottom line, I'm expecting somewhere between 300 to 350 foreign permits. That's down by a third from what we saw last year. Uh, and this is going to impact a lot of companies significantly. I know that um, Pimba Sherpa of 8K Expeditions has told me that he has 25 clients thus far, pretty international, Morocco, Canada, France, India, Mexico, Nigeria, US, and Mongolia. Um, so pretty international team he's got there. Um, also, I understand that Seven Summits Trex, who's kind of the 800-pound gorilla uh, in terms of Nepali companies, the dominant company now on basically all 8,000-meter mountains, much less on Everest, but they typically field a team of about 100 uh, clients. This year, uh, word has it uh, that they only have around 50, so half. Also looking at the Western companies, you know, the usual suspects of uh, Alpine Ascent, International Mountain Guides, Madison Mountaineering, Mountain Professionals, Summit Climb, Climbing the Seven Summits, uh, Altitude Junkies, and the rest. Uh, again, word has it they're around 75% of what they normally expect. So again, taking all these dynamics into account, that's the reason I'm looking for about 300 foreign permits. And you know what? That's not all bad. Um, I think it's good to let the mountain rest, you know, to let's give a chance to kind of clean things up. I know that Nepal uh, has an effort going on this year to remove tons of trash from multiple 8,000 meter mountains for the base camps or perhaps the low camps. China has also taken advantage of this lull over the last three years to do some trash collecting on their side. But, you know, the real answer here is not to collect the trash. The real answer here is not to put the trash in the first place. So leave no trace principles using wag bags for solid human waste, especially above 8,000 meters, like at the South Coal and on the north side at the high camps, camp three and four, where those places, um, it's just embarrassing and, and it's just, an, um, just horrible to do to Mother Earth to, uh, to leave that human waste all over the place. So hopefully we're gonna turn the tide, uh, having more ethical treatment of the mountain, again, by using these leave no trace techniques. As the saying goes, uh, take only pictures and leave only footprints.
There are companies that are not climbing Everest in 2021, and venture consultants kind of front and center. Guy Cotter made the difficult decision last year to uh, what he called hibernate the business. They're still running some trips like the Kilimanjaro, but uh, my understanding is he will not be on Everest this year. One of the companies that's been on Everest, I mean, you know, Gary uh, Hall and, and Rob Hall started really the commercialization in, in Ernst back in the early 90s. And of course, Guy took over after uh, uh, Gary's and, uh, and Rob's deaths uh, on multiple mountains back in the mid 90s. And they've really been a mainstay. Full disclosure, I've climbed with them several times and just a high quality outfit that I thoroughly admire uh, a lot. And I hope they get back on Everest again soon. Mountain Trip, a U.S. company, uh, also chose not to go to Everest this year. The Colorado-based company felt that they just couldn't guarantee the safety uh, to their uh, to their clients and couldn't guarantee a, a, what they the type of experience that they um, would like to give to their clients. So I think that speaks volumes. Alpenglow, Adrian Bollinger, you know, I did a podcast with him a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, you know, he's, he, he usually climbs only on the Tibet side with it being closed. He's now going to go do Makalu. This will be the third time Alpenglow has run a commercial expedition there. Uh, um, Adrian wants to climb it without supplemental oxygen and a ski down. So good on him. He's got a small team uh, that's going to go up there. And so it'll be fun to watch them. So back to COVID again, uh, it looks like that Nepal uh, kind of, I think learning, if anything, from last year of sending out mixed signals this year, they're very clear. If you're vaccinated, there's no quarantine, there's no testing involved, you're welcome to come in and get a visa on, on arrival. If you're not vaccinated, they are requiring a, a PCR test. Uh, and I, I assume if you test positive, you have to go into quarantine, but they haven't made that uh, clear at all. Uh, and it's kind of disappointing. I mean, these, these things are pretty clear. And Nepal recognizes that, um, you know, messaging is clear, critically important. So I do wish that they would be more clear on what their entry requirements are if you're not vaccinated. Um, in terms of the other 8,000-meter mountains, kind of gone through those a little bit. Choyo you know, usually is a very popular climb from the Tibet side. It won't be close, as I noted earlier. There have been some efforts to make a commercial route on the Nepal side of Choyoyu. It's only been climbed less than 150 times from that side. That side is notorious for rockfall, avalanche, very dangerous conditions, very extremely technical uh, routes to the top that have been only accomplished by some of the world's best climbers. Multiple uh, Sherpa teams have attempted it this past uh, winter, and they are announced autumn climbs from the Nepal side. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, there's teams, as we've already mentioned, over on Dalagari, Makalu, Lhotse as normal will have multiple people trying to go for it. You know, it's been interesting over the years that Lhotse used to be kind of viewed as a standalone climb. Now it's viewed and marketed as, as a very expensive, as in twenty dollars to $30,000 add-on to climbing Everest, with the, the goal being to summit Everest, come back down to the South Pole, rest up, go over to Lhotse High Camp Summit, and then come down. You know, a lot of people plan on that. A lot of people pay for it. But after they experience trying to make an attempt of, on Everest proper, uh, they don't even make the attempt on Lhotse. They're just too tuckered out. But a fair number are doing it these times. You know, personally, uh, I went back in 2015 and 16 to try to climb Lhotse, uh, not in conjunction with Everest. Didn't make it each time. I guess a long story I could tell other, at a different time. But I really think that climbing Lhotse on its own or at a minimum returning back down to camp too and then reclimbing 
uh, is kind of the, the cricket way to do it, if you will. Uh, Kanchichanga is another popular climb that we're going to see climbers on this year. Uh, I haven't started anybody from Manaslu um, after um, a pretty successful season last autumn where uh, Ming Maji uh, showed the feasibility of taking an alternate, albeit kind of a wild uh, route off the uh, four summit to get to the summit. And I'm not sure about how what the commercial feasibility of that is either because you're doing some pretty steep down climbing, traverse cross on a fairly aggressive slope, and then climbing back up to the summit and then reversing it. You know, I'm not sure that the average Manaslu climber has the uh, the skills or the desire to take that risk and put themselves in that situation. Another area to watch, so stay tuned for what will happen on Manaslu this autumn as, um, as we move into that season. So looking forward next week, uh, a whole bunch of people will be arriving in Kathmandu. There's already people trekking. A lot of Nepali companies uh, are having trekkers. Uh, we're hearing that there's 100 people a day arriving at Lukla, uh, multiple helicopter and fixed wing flights coming in to begin that great trek uh, throughout the Khumbu, going over to Gokio or going up to Everest Base Camp, or maybe doing some of the trekking peaks like uh, Island Peak or Lobache as standalone climbs. Again, fantastic if you ever can get the chance to go there. By the way, throw a plug in here for Ecuador. I think climbing the Ecuador 20,000 foot volcanoes is also a fantastic experience. I've done uh, both Nepal and, and down in South America, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia several times, and uh, they're all rewarding, you know, basically get out there and do something, right? <laughs> Uh, so anyway, people will be coming in to do the climbing um, and uh, trekking in the base camp uh, and off they go. So, uh, you know, if you are, if you do have a team going and you're hearing this, then make sure that you register your team with the Himalayan database. Uh, Billy and that crew do a fantastic job of taking over from Ms. Holly uh, and just running a quality uh, organization to track all the climbs across the Tibetan and the Nepali peaks. They don't do Pakistan, which I wish they would, because there's really not a easily accessible, uh, reliable source for how many people climb the mountains in Pakistan that we can all have access to as freely as the Himalayan database offers it. So again, follow along here. I will be posting, I don't know, daily once we get into the season, but uh, as we have legitimate news, I will be posting that on the blog on alanarnett.com. I'll be doing these podcasts at, at a minimum for the weekend update as well as throughout the season as news um, uh, develops. You can subscribe to receive an email notification for all of my posts, including the podcast. Uh, I promise no spam. We'll never sell your email, all those normal stuff. I just do it as a service so that you you don't have to depend upon uh, social media to figure out what's happening. You'll get an email direct with a link directly to these posts. Okay. If you have other things you'd love to hear about or have me cover this season, uh, I will be posting some stuff coming up this next week about some climbers to watch. For example, uh, Australian Ken Hutt, I believe he's Australian, will be trying to do a paraglide off the summit. Certainly not the first time that's been done, but it's always interesting. Uh, there's several people always trying to do it without O's. 97% of the people who summit Everest do it using supplemental oxygen. So those who try, um, you know, they are literally in rarefied air and I wish them the best and also to be safe because uh, pr proportionally the number of people climb without using supplemental oxygen die on the attempt. So, you know, you've got to have some amazing physiology. We'll talk about that a little bit as well as we get through the season. Again, let me know what you want to hear. And I, as always, appreciate your support and climb on. This is Alan. And remember, memories are everything.